podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday, the 24th of February, and we are brought to you, as always, by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network. It allows you to go online, change your location. If you want to use American Netflix, but you don't happen to be located in America, it enables you to do that. If you have a Now TV subscription, but you're outside the UK and Brexit laws have changed how you're able to use it, a VPN is the way around it. It'll also keep your data safe online, which is obviously massively important in this day and age. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but with worldwide shipping available. Check out Home of Hopcroft. .co.uk for your giftware or homeware needs. Right, folks, uh, not a whole lot to get through today. One Premier League game last night, the Rafinha show, as Leeds gave Southampton a bit of a spanking, 3-0. Saints will feel hard done by. They did have the ball in the net early on. Uh, che Adams, after a quick free kick, was put through and scored, but the referee claimed he hadn't blown his whistle, and on the replay it probably showed that he didn't quite blow his whistle before the free kick was taken. It was a little bit afterwards, but it was quite close, and maybe the referee should have been a little bit more alert to what was going on and not had his back to play. Southampton, before that, had had a penalty appeal turned down when Tello appeared to be fouled in the box by Diego Loriente, who played, surprisingly, at Leeds went with a back three, and Loriente played on the right-hand side of that with Cooper in the middle and Struik on the left. It worked quite well. It functioned well. But Loriente looked like he'd been uh, done for a penalty early in the game. Uh, on the VAO replay, it did show, though, that Nathan Teller had thrown his leg out. Loriente hadn't made contact with him. Teller had made contact with Loriente. The penalty was overturned. and uh, And the game continued on. You have to say Southampton looked a little bit blunt up front without Danny Ings on the pitch. Some of their play was a little bit aimless. And it was a little bit surprising to me that Jennifer and Minamino didn't start. Now, Armstrong's a good player, but Tell is very young and very raw. And I didn't think he really found his footing in the game at all. Um, what I would say is that Ariel Romeo in the first half, made one of the best recovery runs and last-ditch tackles I've ever seen. Leeds broke off a Southampton set piece. Rafinha picked the ball up with nothing other than space between him and the goal, him and Melier, and looked to be bearing in. And out of nowhere, Romeo appears with a brilliantly timed tackle, absolutely inch-perfect sliding tackle, Sent Rafinha flying, won the ball, clean as anything. Absolutely tremendous. Now, he looked knackered for about 15 minutes after that. 
but it was a brilliant bit of defensive play by by the holding midfielder. Um, Leeds went one up early in the second half. Patrick Bamford with a nice left-footed drive low into the bottom corner. Bamford had quite a good game, led the line really well, occupied defenders, doing all the Patrick Bamford things that we've become used to. He's he's really showing himself to be a well-rounded forward, and I think really should be given strong consideration for the England squad for the Euros. If you're looking for someone as an alternative to Harry Kane, as a sorry, not an alternative, as a backup to Harry Kane, then Patrick Bamford is probably the best option. As an all-round forward, he has more to his game than the likes of Tammy Abraham, the likes of Calvert-Lewin, the likes of Mikel Antonio, the likes of Ollie, Ollie Watkins. Bamford is more rounded than them. They have higher ceilings, but he's just more rounded. And he's having himself a tremendous season. He's scoring goals, he's leading the line, he's linking play, drops into midfield and, and makes things happen. And at 27, we are seeing the very best version of Patrick Bamford. 13 goals in the Premier League this season. That's right in line with, you know, with the type of players that he's been compared with for the, the England squad. I, I, you have to say Tammy Abraham's not having a season deserving of a spot in the England squad, so I think that may rule him out. Watkins had a really good early spell, then a drought, better of late. Calvert-Lewin exactly the same great burst then went quiet for a couple of months and then came back Antonio the issue will always be injuries Danny Ings the issue will always be injuries Bamford doesn't really seem to have those issues he played 45 games in the championship last year he's already played 25 games in the Premier League this year Uh, when he was on loan at Middlesbrough he played 38 games across a, a championship season He's just a very resilient player who doesn't seem to get many injuries over the last couple of years. And as I say, he's scoring at the same type of level as the others who are in this conversation for the the second number nine spot in the England squad. Um, You look at the Premier League leading scorers. He's got 13. Calvert-Lewin has 13. Kane has 13. And Vardy has 12. Watkins and Callum Wilson both have 10. As I say, each of them, there's a flaw. Calvert-Lewin, his all-round game's not great. His all-round game isn't of the level of Bamford's. He's better in the air. He's much quicker. Bamford isn't slow, but Calvert-Lewin is lightning. Uh, Calvert-Lewin's a better finisher. But I think Bamford's movement, his intelligence, his link-up play, his hold-up play, I think they're better than than Calvert-Lewin's. Kane is, an, is a no-brainer. He's in the squad. He's by far and away the number one choice. Uh, Jamie Vardy is retired from international football. Ollie Watkins is still a little bit raw. Still looks like a guy who's a, an inside forward playing as a nine at times. I do wonder if they could get their hands on Tammy Abraham in the summer. Could we see Watkins from the right, Abraham as the nine, and Grealish on the left of a front three in the 4-3-3 next season, as opposed to the 4-2-3-1 they've been using of, of recent weeks. Um, that would allow Barkley to go back into midfield, into midfield three rather than play as a 10, where he was better early in the season than he has been of late. You know, him, Douglas Louise, and John McGinn, and you're probably very, very happy with that front six. Uh, but that is beside the point. Callum Wilson, 
again, I think he's more well-rounded than Watkins. I think he's more well-rounded than Calvert-Lewin. But the injury issues, I mean, this is his second sustained spell on the sidelines this season alone. And a lot of his 10 goals are penalties. So I think Bamford deserves serious consideration by Gareth Southgate. He doesn't have an England cap. He was only capped twice at under-21 level, and you have to go back to 2014 uh, for those. So it's a long, long time out of the England mix. I think he is entitled to play for the Republic of Ireland. He is. He is entitled to play for the Republic of Ireland. And in 2019, there was rumours he was going to play for the Republic of Ireland. But that all kind of fell apart. If I was the manager of the Republic of Ireland national team, I would absolutely be knocking on his door, though his last comments were in 2020, in in October 2020, and he said his dream would be to play for England. So look, if that's what he wants to do, fair enough. But you could get 50 caps for Ireland. You might only get one for England. How many players are there out there that have one or two or three England caps that could have played elsewhere and got, you know, 50 caps, 60 caps. Um, the greatest ever Irish national team had a bunch of those lads that turned down the opportunity to get one or two caps for England to get 40, 50, 60 for Ireland. And it made them play with a chip on their shoulder. You look at the Irish teams in 88, 90 and 94, there was plenty of players good enough to play for England, but maybe not good enough to be regulars. And because of that, they played for Ireland and had a chip on their shoulder and they outperformed England over that time. They outperformed them. Yes, England finished fourth or third or whatever it was. I think it was fourth in the uh, the World Cup of 1990, but they didn't qualify in 94. They were a disaster at the Euros in 92. Admittedly, Ireland didn't qualify, but Ireland beat England in the uh, the 88 Euros and drew with them at the 1990 World Cup and then obviously went to the 94 World Cup while England sat at home. So I don't think it's outrageous to say that from 88 to 94, Ireland outperformed them and a lot of that was down to English players deemed not good enough for their homeland making a decision to play for Ireland because they had a parent or grandparent or because the lack of checks allowed them to create a grandparent or move the place of birth of said grandparent. I, I think Bamford is being foolish. I, I genuinely do. Uh, I think Jack Grealish made the wrong decision. Now, he may well go on to establish himself as an England regular, but he's 25 and he's still not an England regular. And he doesn't look like he's in the actual plans for Gareth Southgate. I mean, it took a miracle from be called up the last time. He was left out of the initial squad and then called up for injury because of injury. He's not going to start for Southgate, I don't think. Southgate seems very set on the players that he has and the players he wants. I understand that for an English kid, to play for England is is incredible honour. But, I mean, Grealish played underage football for Ireland. Declan Rice played for Ireland seniors. Now, Declan Rice is an established starter for England. He still would have been better off playing for Ireland. He'd be far more adored by the Irish than he ever will by the English fan base. He'll just get abused by the English fan base when things don't go well, because that's what they do. They tear down their own heroes uh, in all walks. 
I mean, you just need to look at what's happening with Prince Harry. They have torn that kid apart. That kid was dragged through the streets behind the hearse of his mother when he didn't want to be there for a national spectacle for a woman that had been disparaged by the elite of 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 England. But when she died, oh, wasn't she great? Now, retrospectively, you said that. You weren't saying that when she was alive. Then you paraded her sons out, one of whom may not have any royal blood at all. And then he went on to, uh, you know, serve in the military. Could have done the cushy thing and said, well, I'm a royal. I can't really go to Afghanistan. I can't go to Iraq. And if I do, I'll sit in a tent 15 miles from the nearest bit of danger. But not him. He went to the front lines. He raised millions for charity. He created the Invictus Games. And now, because he wants to protect his wife, who's been abused because, and let's not sugarcoat it, it's because she's black, because she's mixed race, because she's American. That's why she's been abused. Nothing she's done. The reason that you know, the usual suspects don't like her is because she doesn't have the same pigmentation as they do. And because he's chosen to protect her and protect his children, he's now a traitor. So he just gets dragged down. He should be held up. He should be held up. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not any kind of royalist at all. Quite the opposite. But that kid, that guy, that guy I can relate to. That guy I, I, I think is a good guy. And uh, and to see what he how he's been treated, and he he's a member of the royal family. So imagine how they treat footballers. Look what they did to Beckham after '98. Look what they did to Phil Neville after he gave away a penalty. He got bullets in the post. Declan Rice gives away a pass that leads to a goal in a European Championship semi final next summer. Oh, it won't be worth his while. It really won't be worth his while. Anyway, <laughs> Leeds went on to win this game three nil. I get sidetracked. You know I get sidetracked, so you shouldn't have listened to that and thought, what is he talking about? You know it just happens. Things pop into my head, and off I go on a tangent. Guy is sitting, listening to me, nodding, going, yep, that's every day. Uh, Stuart Dallas made it 2-0 with what can only be described as a big toe. Now, if you grew up in the estate that I grew up in, it would be called a Seamus Crowley special. Seamus Crowley notorious for the big toe, the toe poke, if you call it that. You give the ball to Seamus, 35 yards from goal, the the big toe is going through that ball, and that ball is moving through the air. And that's what Stuart Dallas did. Uh, Phil Hay, the great Leeds reporter, is saying today, oh, but look at the swerve on it. Of course the swerve on it. Big toes don't go straight if you kick them hard enough. They'll dip and they'll move. It's like it's It's almost like a knuckleball. Um, Rafinha made it 3-0 with a great free kick um, I don't think you could have any criticism of the goalkeeper on any of these three goals but uh, for Southampton it's another bad result and it means that they, they stay 14th in the league that is 7 defeats out of 8 now and um, a, you know a tough enough run to come they've got Everton away next that's Monday night then they've got Sheffield United away then Man City away. Then they get Brighton at home and then Burnley at home. Now, the Sheffield United away game, that's a game that they'll look to win. It's a game they should win. But with the form they're in, 
Sheffield United have been a bit feisty lately. It might go against them. Brighton at home is a game. They should win. They should look to win. But Brighton are in better form. And, and over the course of the season, you know, the numbers suggest that Brighton have been the better team. They've just been failed by their lack of a goal scorer. If they had a Danny Ings type, they would likely be comfortable, you know, 10th, 11th, uh, instead of worrying about relegation. Uh, and then Burnley at home, again, a game they should win. Now, they do have the FA Cup quarterfinal away to Bournemouth, uh, who recently appointed Jonathan Woodgate as their manager until the end of the season, um, which is a bizarre decision to make. But um, I, I can only assume that Thierry Henry either turned them down or gave a terrible interview. But either way, I think they've had a lucky escape on that one. Um yeah, so a difficult run of games coming up for for Southampton, especially given the funk they've been in and how much they need to, you know, get their form back on track. Leeds move into 10th. They have now a zero goal differential, 43 scored, 43 conceded. Uh, again, only the top three and Liverpool have scored more. They've now scored more than Chelsea. So you've got United on 53, City on 50, Liverpool on 45 and Leicester on 44 are the only ones who've scored more goals than Leeds. But, you know, the defence has been the issue. Same goals conceded as Palace, as Southampton now, as Newcastle and only West Brom have actually conceded more goals, which, you know, it's not ideal. It's not ideal when the only team that's conceded more goals is the one team that has by far the worst defensive record in the league. Um. But Leeds will be they'll be absolutely thrilled with where they are. They'll be just delighted by that. You can't ask for more. To be top half after twenty five games as a newly promoted team in this division, especially in this bizarre season where things are just going so strangely. Now it is a it's a tough three and then two games that they'll probably fancy themselves in. Villa at home won't be easy, but the table shows that you know they're in Close quarters. Villa are one point ahead of Leeds, but they do have two games in hand, which is worth noting. Um, after that, then, they go to West Ham, obviously sit fourth in the table at the moment. That'll be difficult. Then Chelsea at home. The Elsa versus Tuchel is just going to be wonderful. Polar opposites. Completely different philosophies on the game, but both geniuses in their own way. That one should be fun. Those are those are three tough games. And then you've got Fulham away, which is a game they should win, but they've travelled to London dreadfully this season. And then Sheffield United at home, which, you know, on paper, easy win. But in reality, won't be easy. And it's a Sheffield, it's a Yorkshire derby, which, you know, we haven't had a Yorkshire Premier League derby other than this earlier in the season in a long time. And for those of you, Trying to use Middlesbrough. No. Absolutely not. I don't care if they're geographically located in the county of Yorkshire. They're not in Yorkshire at all. So, no. Not accepting that. Not accepting anything to do with Middlesbrough as a Yorkshire derby. Sorry, guy. You're not from Yorkshire. That's your dream crushed. Um, It's Teesside anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Look, they're... Middlesbrough's derbies are against Sunderland and Newcastle. They don't get hyped to play Huddersfield. They don't get hyped to play 
Sheffield Wednesday. They'll get hyped when they play Sunderland or Newcastle again. Um, yeah, so that's the Premier League last night. Leeds 3, uh, Southampton nil. Rafinha, head and shoulders above everybody else in the pitch. Just absolutely tremendous, tremendous footballer. A joy to watch. And unfortunately for Leeds, may not be long for Leeds. Um, Champions League tonight then. Two games. Atalanta face Real Madrid. And Borussia Mönchengladbach face Manchester City. Atalanta are currently fifth in Serie A. They've been a little bit disappointing this season. But their form has been better of late. Uh, Other than the defeat to Lazio, they haven't actually lost since November the 28th. So they've been on a good good run of, of draws and, uh, and wins. Um, they finished second in their group, second to Liverpool. Beat Liverpool at Anfield. Got walloped by Liverpool um, in Bergamo. But overcame Ajax, overcame Italy and sailed through. Four points clear of Ajax. Happy days. They were delighted. And... Um, They'll go into this game confident because they're a team that scores a lot of goals. They know they're going to concede some goals, but they'll go full bore at Real anyway. Uh, Real are second in La Liga, but it hasn't been a good season for them. They're not playing particularly well. Uh, they weren't particularly good in the Champions League group. At one point, it looked like they could fall out and end up third. And if it hadn't been for Shakhtar's collapse, they probably would have. Uh, they lost twice to Shakhtar and still managed to get through because Shakhtar only took two points from their other four games. They'll play the the Gladbach and, and Inter Milan were the other teams in that group. It was a tough group and they did well to top it, but they haven't been close to their usual self this season. They just don't look the same. They've won four in a row in the league, but they're not playing a Real Madrid brand of football. They're Back to relying on individuals to win them games as opposed to just having such an incredible team that you suffocate your opposition and just overwhelm them. Um, they won 1-0 at the weekend against Valid- Valladolid. Uh, Casemiro, the holding midfielder, got the goal. And they've been very reliant on Kareem Benzema this season again because nobody else is really stepping up to the mark. He's got 17 goals in all competitions. The next highest goal scorer is Casemiro. The defensive midfielder, who's got six. Eden Hazard, who they paid a hundred and whatever million for, has three goals this season. It, it just has not been a good season for, for them. Um, despite being second in the league, they don't look like a team who's going to win the league. They certainly don't look a team who'll win the Champions League. And you'd, you'd make them favourites against Atalanta because they've got more depth, more quality and the Real Madrid, it's the Champions League but you do kind of feel like if they were to run into City or PSG or Bayern they'd just get wiped out I, I think they'd be absolutely annihilated by any of those three teams right now um, the other game tonight then is Gladbach against City, Gladbach are not having a good season, they're eighth in the Bundesliga, their manager, Marco Rose, is leaving at the end of the season to go to Borussia Dortmund. That was announced last week. And uh, it's, you know, it's got to be disruptive. The players know he's leaving. While I'm sure he will be committed to the job, I don't know how fully committed he's going to be. I don't know how his mind can't be on 
Borussia Dortmund and having a look and planning for next season. Uh, no doubting his professionalism, and he'll give you know he will he will be there, he will be present. But you still have to think that those hours he would have previously spent in the evening planning for Borussia Mönchengladbach games may now be spent somewhat planning for Borussia Dortmund's next season. Um, and unfortunately for them, they run into Manchester City. They obviously finished second in that group to Real Madrid. Uh, City, just, they're, they're the best team in Europe at the moment. There's no question, no doubt, they're the best team in Europe at the moment. In the Premier League, they are just wiping the floor with teams week after week after week. They've now won 13 Premier League games in a row, along with two uh, League Cup games and three FA Cup games. 18 wins in a row, dating back to November, oh, sorry, December the 19th. 18 wins in a row. They topped their Champions League group. They won five of six games. The only draw was away to Porto, but they beat Porto at home, beat Marseille away, beat Olympiacos at home, beat Olympiacos away, drew away with Porto, and then beat Marseille at home. They will go into this game as heavy favourites. The game is to be played, I believe, in Budapest. It is, yep. Same place Liverpool played against uh, RB Leipzig. So Gladbach don't even get the benefit of having home advantage. So again, that plays into City's hand, but I don't think it would have made a difference. City are just on a different level at the moment. They look exceptional and um, credit to them. Pep has has really got them humming at the moment. You'd expect them to win and you'd expect Real Madrid away with no fans. You'd expect Real to win. Though Atalanta, I think, will give them more of a game than Gladbach will give City. Uh, obviously, last night we had two games. Bayern beat Lazio fairly comfortably. Uh, they went 4-0 up with Lewandowski, Jamal Musiala, Leroy Sané and an own goal by a Serbi before Jakun Correa could drag one back. That ties over. That's a wash. He put it to bed. Um, Bayern just looked... They looked sensational. They just looked sensational. And when you look at the team that played last night, I mean, Nicolas Sula played right back, but he belongs in the middle. They need a right back. But other than that, I mean, everything else is just... They're going to need to replace Alaba, but they do have Lucas Hernandez in place. Everything else is just exceptional. Goretzka, Kimmich in midfield, both of them top class. Kimmich is a top 10 player in the world. Sané didn't have a great game, but he did get a goal. It'll boost his confidence. Kingsley Coman was brilliant on the left wing. They still have Serge Gnabry to come back into that mix. Um, they went with a very... They, Bayern are injury riddled at the minute, by the way. They need six subs named last night, whereas Lazio had 15. <laughs> no, they had about 11. They had 12. Lazio named 12 subs last night. Uh, Bayern named six. Um, Musiala played as a 10... 17, just different class. Different class of footballer. Uh, Lewandowski up front. Again, he's older. They'll need to look to replace him. They'll need to look to replace Nauer and goal as well. But they're just, they're so talented. They've got so much depth. Even with all the injuries, like the bench, Lucas Hernandez is there. He cost him 70 million. Mark Roca is there. He's a quality player. Bruno Sarr is a good player. Now, look, Chupamoting's Chupamoting. He's done okay, but you, you know he's not ideal. Um, but it's scary how good Bayern are going to be for for the foreseeable future. 
there doesn't look to be an end in sight to them just continuing to roll on. We know they have Upa Meccano coming in in the summer. Um, as I said, Lucas Hernandez is there. Alfonso Davies is 20 years of age and he's a, he's a phenom. The wing, in, wing options are incredible. Musiala, you would guess, is, is the long-term success of Thomas Muller as the 10. They'll find a successor to Lewandowski. It would be no surprise if they somehow managed to wangle their way into having Earl and Haaland arrive next year, in which case we can all just give up. Um, on the topic of Musiala, he announced in a exclusive interview with Raphael Honigstein of The Athletic that he has decided to play for Germany. Uh, he had the option to play for Germany or England. He is German-born to a German mother and British-Nigerian father. Moved to England when he was seven. Lived in Southampton for a few years. Obviously then was at the Chelsea Academy for years. Moved back to Bayern when he was 16, after so nine years in the UK. And um, he said he's just decided that it, his, his best option is to play for Bayern. And you can't blame him. Like, again, he's German-born to a German mother. Um, it's it's natural. German German is his first language. And he's playing in Germany for Bayern, training with the likes of Kimmich, etc., etc. It makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And in in a normal time, England losing such an incredible talent would be similar to Ireland losing out on Jack Grealish, where the alternatives aren't fit to make him a sandwich, let alone replace him on a football field. But with England, they may not really miss him. They may not really miss him at all. Options who can play right wing or as a 10 for England include Phil Foden, Mason Greenwood, Baki Osaka, Emile Smith-Rowe, Jaden Sancho, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Harvey Elliott, Kate Gordon, sure I'm missing others, Louis Sibley perhaps, if he develops well. England are absolutely loaded in terms of attacking wide slash number 10 options. Absolutely loaded in those positions. Unlike anything we've seen for England before. It's it's almost, not quite, but almost getting close to the level of France at centre-back right now. England are absolutely spoiled for choice. I didn't mention the likes of Sterling, Rashford, players like that that are established. I'm just talking about young players who are still breaking through, finding their way. Marcus Edwards is another option. He's stupidly talented. There's so many different options for England. So many talented players in those wide roles. And as a 10, again, as a 10, Grealish, Madison, Mount, like, the list goes on and on. So, while, yes, it's it's a blow and you'd love to have him because he's super talented and the, the sky is the limit for him. There's no there's no ceiling really on his talent. It's probably not the biggest blow for England. And for Germany, it's a huge get. 
And it makes sense for him. He'll have an easier path into the team. The idea of him and Florian Wirtz playing together versus the super talented player at Bayer Leverkusen. If you haven't seen him, do check him out. 17, plays like he's 25. Just mentally years ahead of everybody around him. Those two together will be the basis for the next great German team. They're both super talented, both 17. That makes sense for him. He's got an easier part. Like Kai Havertz is only 22. He'll be in that mix as well. Those those three behind a striker will be ridiculous. If that striker happens to be Timo Werner, that'll be a good thing for Chelsea. Um, if not, then you know maybe they'll have problems. Like there's not really another elite German striker. Xerxes maybe, but he, he's kind of lost his way a little bit. Anyway, moving on. Um, the other game last night was Chelsea won uh, Atletico Madrid nil. Chelsea deserved the win. Goal was a little bit controversial, looked offside, but I think on the replays it wasn't. Um, Atletico just got things wrong. No shots on target, just gave Chelsea the ball and sat back, played largely a back seven. <laughs> Which, you know, when you saw the team lined up and you see Lamar and Loriente as wingbacks, they're like, oh, Simeone's going for this. Correa and Joe Felix behind Suarez, they're going to go for this. And instead, they played a back five where Felix and Correa basically tucked in, tucked in as wingbacks in front of that. And then Saul and Koke just sat in front of them. And Luis Suarez just stood up front looking completely lost uh, in the pocket of Andreas Christensen, who I thought was comfortably the man of the match. I did think it was nice to see Callum Hudson-Odoi get the start. It could have been a little bit awkward after the situation at the weekend where he was brought on at halftime, brought off 26 minutes later or whatever it was. Uh, but he gets the start at wing-back, and, and I, I thought he did okay. I thought he played quite well. But, um, yeah, I mean, for, for Chelsea, this is a huge win. This win doesn't happen if Frank Lampard is still in charge. To be clear on that, um, Simeone would have would have eaten for dinner. But Thomas Tuchel can hold his own against pretty much anybody in the world. So this win is, is a sign of that. And Ali Giroud, I mean, when a, when a beautiful man scores a beautiful overhead kick, you just have to say that is... That is worthy of watching, and it was. It was a great overhead kick. He frustrates the life out of me, though. I mean, he should be... He, he should have scored so many more goals in his career. He should have had such a better... He's had a great career, don't get me wrong. He's won most things. He's played for great clubs, but he should have been, like, the nine in a team that won three or four Premier League titles. If you had him in the Firmino role over the last couple of years, a younger version of him, if you could get like a 23-year-old version of him and put him with a Mo Salah and a Sadio Mane either side of him, I think he'd just exploded. I think he would have taken off to new levels. Everything about his game, except his ability to put the ball in the net, has been brilliant. But he can put the ball in the net, and that's why it's so frustrating. But he he's too unselfish. That's the issue with him. He's too unselfish. As a number nine, sometimes you just have to be a little bit about you and not worry about everybody else. And the seasons that he's done that, there was a year at Arsenal, um, I think it was 14, 15 or 15, 16, I can't remember which. But that's what he did. He just was about him, about his numbers. That's what he was at Montpellier. That's how he got the move to Arsenal in the first place. He just banged in goals for fun. 
one. But, you know, you look at his career numbers and he's generally kind of 12 to 17 goals in all competitions. A couple of seasons above that, a couple below it. That's generally what he is. Ideally, if he could add 10 more goals to that, he'd have been one of the best strikers in the world. His all-round play is ridiculous. And the, the fact that, again, he's like, what is he now? He's 34. He's not first choice at Chelsea. He's never really been first choice at Chelsea. And, you know, it's a shame because he should have been first choice for a team that was regularly winning titles. Whether in England or elsewhere, that's what he deserved because he's just a brilliant player. Absolutely brilliant player. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that leaves that second leg well balanced. It should be an interesting one. Chelsea will have, you know, the advantage of playing at Stamford Bridge. But Atleti don't have any fear. They went downfield last year and knocked at Liverpool. They won't care. Um. Right. One other bit of kind of big-ish news, I suppose, uh, not Premier League related, but Neil Lennon has stepped down as manager of Glasgow Celtic. Um, they're 18 points behind Rangers. He took over from Brendan Rodgers in February 2019, finished out that season, won the league and the, and the Scottish Cup. Rodgers had the league pretty much won as it was, but you know he finished that season. Won the league last year, obviously won the, the Scottish Cup and the Scottish League Cup to complete the four straight years of trebles, which is an incredible achievement. But this year was the one that sort of really mattered because this year was 10 in a row. And Celtic have been a, a dumpster fire all season long. They have been absolutely shambolic. And the thing is, Lennon has done great things for Celtic. As a player, he won five league titles, four Scottish Cups, two League Cups, was part of that team that lost to Porto in the UEFA Cup final. He was a tremendous player for Celtic. In his first spell as manager, he won three league titles, he won two Scottish Cups. It was sort of the start of this dominant period. It was at the time of the collapse and decline of Rangers. And he did well. He did really well. But he didn't have a lot of competition for a couple of those seasons. He went to Bolton and he was an unmitigated disaster. Excuse me, a disaster. He did all right at Hibernian. I can understand why they brought him back at the time. Rogers walks out mid-season. The club needs a lift. The fan base needs a lift. And a club legend like Lennon coming back is the lift they needed. And he gets them through the end of the season. They win the league. They win the cup. They complete the treble treble. Everybody's delighted. At that point, they needed to move on. At that point, they needed to be adventurous, ambitious, the same way they were when they got Rodgers in. And they weren't. They took the cheap option. And they've taken the cheap option ever since, both in terms of on the field and off the field. And it's what's cost them 10 in a row. And Neil Lennon will get the hate. He will get the vitriol. But the board are hiding behind him and using him as a scapegoat. And that's the problem here, is that they have failed and they've set him up to fail. Now, he should have been sacked four or five months ago, but they were too cowardly to do that. And they've let him fall on his own sword, which is poor form. Neil Lennon has given everything to Celtic as a player and a manager, and he has been badly treated. 
Uh, I'm sure myself, myself, Sheiky and Flanners will talk about this at length next week when we do the Scottish football pod. But yeah, Neil Lennon is unfortunately getting too much hate today in the board, not getting enough criticism. Uh, speaking of not getting enough criticism, um, the Premier League are putting forward some sort of weird initiative where players are going to clap referees onto the pitch. Clap for the ref. Now, I think referees get too much abuse from the players. I think players that swear at referees should be immediately booked. And players that get in the face and scream at referees should probably be sent off. However, this all stems from the Mike Dean fiasco, where he had two red cards in back-to-back games overturned because he made complete messes of the situation. And then he got threats from morons. And rather than be criticised for the dreadful job that he was doing as a man, as a, as a referee, everybody's behind him. Isn't it terrible? Yeah, it's terrible. He's still crap at his job. Most of them are. Most of them are awful. So let's applaud them when they do their jobs properly. And when they do their jobs badly, let's just criticize them for doing their jobs badly. Let's not go beyond the realm of them doing their job. Let's not enter their personal lives. Let's not involve their families or anything like that. Let's just focus on them as men or women, if it's that that's the case. If it was Sian Massey who made a massive mistake or any of the other uh, female referees or assistant referees. Let's focus on them and what they do in their job and how they do their job rather than involving anything else. Uh, Sian Massey doesn't, Sian Massey Ellis as she is now doesn't make mistakes. So we won't need to worry about her. Uh, she is comfortably the best official in the Premier League. Um, so yeah, that, that initiative for the bin. I saw Henry Winter talk about it yesterday. I actually thought it was a joke. I thought he was messing. I didn't think it could be real. Um, that's it. I think we'll just wrap up with the gossip. Get this get this done for today. Um, as always, the BBC Gossip page, they do the work for me, so it saves me the time. Um, Argentine forward Paolo Dybala's future at Serie A Champions Juventus is uncertain, and the 27-year-old could be sold in the summer. That's from the Daily Mirror, who have basically just made something up based on, on the fact that he hasn't agreed a new contract yet. Um, Premier League sides Liverpool, Manchester United and Tottenham are among those monitoring the Dybala situation. So I'm guessing what's happened is the mirror stories come out and someone at goal who've come up with this one have gone, oh, we'll, we'll just, you know, we'll throw some big names in the mix. That that always works. Who doubt that United, Liverpool and Spurs would want him? Spurs and United have bid for him in the past and Liverpool need to refresh their front three. So two plus two equals five. Uh, and the problem with that is you weren't starting with two, you were starting with negative six, and you still somehow landed on five, and you're completely wrong. Um, Tottenham and Borussia Dortmund are leading the race to sign Dean Henderson. Would be a great fit and a great signing for either club, both badly in need of goalkeepers. Hugo Lloris has passed his best. Roman Berkey was never really of the level that you would want at a Borussia Dortmund. Good keeper, but never, never a top-class keeper. Dean Henderson would make sense for both both clubs absolutely make sense of both clubs uh spurs could turn towards sorry that one was from sky sports spurs could turn turn towards nick pope if pochettino and psg make a move for hugo Lloris. that's from the daily mail if i was 
Spurs and PSG made a move for Lloris, I think I'd be delighted. I think I'd be delighted. If they were willing to pay me to take him away, I'd be absolutely chuffed. Turn around, put that money towards a, a new goalkeeper. Uh, you'll be able to rinse a couple of extra million out of PSG who are, you know, run like a clown show. Mind-blowing how they spent all that money and ended up with that squad. Um, from Eurosport, Chelsea are growing increasingly confident of signing Norway striker Erling Haaland from Borussia Dortmund this summer. Well, he's not for sale. If he was for sale, I don't think he'd pick Chelsea. I think he'd have a look at the Haaland and Werner situations and say, no, no way am I going there. Now, I know it's different now. They've got a real manager rather than a PE teacher, but I still don't think he'd make that move. I think he stays at Dortmund. I think he knows that next summer his buyout's 75 million and the clubs that maybe can't afford him this season that he might have preference for, I'm thinking Real, uh, Juventus, maybe even Liverpool, could afford the buyout and you know then it just comes down to who's willing to pay him the most the most wages. Um Tuto Marcati via the star report that blues owner Roman Abramovich will give Chelsea manager Thomas Tuchel two hundred and sixty million to spend in the next transfer window, regardless of whether the club qualifies for the Champions League. I mean, you've just taken the figure that Frank spent, really. Isn't that what's happened there? You've just taken that figure and you've decided, let's just run that story again. Roman's uh, Roman's approach to spending bad money is to spend more bad money and hope for the best. Um, From the spoofer with the catchphrase, Everton have entered the race to sign Max Ahrens. He's stolen that off somebody. I know I've read that before, so he's stolen that off somebody. Uh, From TalkSport, West Ham will only listen to offers in excess of $100 for Declan Rice. A hundred million for Declan Rice. Madness. Absolute madness. I don't know who a talk sport that's come from. If it's Jim White, he's heard it directly from the mouth of one of the West Ham owners because he, he is a public mouthpiece for them. Uh, and that is just peacocking and, you know, showboating. Nonsense to suggest. If they got eight, if they don't make the Champions League, which they probably won't, if someone lands 80 million in their lap, this summer, you can be guaranteed they won't just accept it. They'll hire a limo to drive Declan Rice to his new club. 100%. Um, we'll skip the next one because it's from a dreadful outlet. Um, Metro, well, this is a dreadful outlet as well, but um, United apparently have an interest in Andre Silva, uh, but it would only move for him if. Uh, they decide not to extend the contract of Edinson Cavani. That doesn't make sense. Why would a 34-year-old impact your signing of a 25-year-old? Bizarre. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side made an approach for French defender Benoit Badiashile last summer. He's very talented, but he's 19. He's not going to fix United's problems. Um, simple as that. He's a young, developing defender. He's not one that fixes the problems that United have. Uh, one coming up in a future rumour is one that would, but we'll get to it. Um, Badi Ashile says he does not regret rejecting United. That's from the Independent. So he turned them down. 
Uh, West Ham will look to make the signing of Jesse Lingard permanent, but Leicester are also monitoring the 28-year-old. That's from Eurosport. I can't see where he fits at Leicester. Unless he plays on the right of the three behind the one or or the 4-4-1, 4 4 one 4 one But he doesn't really fit there. That's not his position. I think he'd struggle. Um, I don't think he's technically good enough to play in the Leicester team either. And he's not a top-four player. And Leicester want to be a top-four team. He's not that good. He's not good enough to be that, that player. He's a mid-table player. Uh, Fiorentina's Serbian centre-back Nikola Milinkovic is Borussia Dortmund's number one defensive target. That's from Sky Sports in Germany. He would be ideal for Manchester United. He would fit perfectly next to Maguire. He's good in the air. He's aggressive. He's quick. He would be ideal. And according to the Express, he is someone that is of interest to them. Um, Aston Villa are linked with a move for Sheffield United's 23-year-old Norwegian midfielder Sander Berge. That's from Eurosport. Uh, he makes sense. He's, he's too good to go to the championship. He's too good to go to the championship. In a, in a three with Douglas Louise and John McGinn, if you decide not to keep Barkley, he fits. He doesn't have the creativity or the attacking intent of Barkley, but his upside is, is definitely above Barkley's, no question. Uh, Arsenal will listen to offers for Reese Nelson at the end of the season. It's a shame, but it makes sense. They're, they're, they're loaded with young talent. He's down the pecking order, and he probably just doesn't want to stay there. And they, they wasted all that money getting in Willian on a stupid free contract when he's just no good anymore. Um, that's it. That is the show for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you to Mr. Guy Drinkle for his production. And thank you to Foxhound for our title music. Uh, as I said, two games tonight. City Gladback should be fun. Atalanta Real will be fun. So, you know, you have something to watch anyway. Take care of yourselves. Have a good evening. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.